Good morning and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. My name is Gary Cooney and I'm so glad you could be with me today as we continue to examine God's Word together, unfolding it. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're now in the seventh chapter of that book. The last time we met, I was reading and beginning to study verses 7 through 13 within Romans 7. And I want to read those verses again because we didn't complete our study of those verses. So Romans 7, beginning in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. And so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Well, did that which was good then bring death to me? Well, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. If you've been with me now in our study in the book of Romans, you've been discovering that Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 are introducing us to the reality of the sin problem in the life of the redeemed believer. Romans 1 to 5, of course, was explaining to us how to be saved. The power of the gospel that solves our impossible problem of sin and separation from God. But even though redeemed, justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I as redeemed new creations still face a continuing struggle with sin in this life. We've been discovering how sin can deceive and defeat the believer. In these verses that I read to you today, which we began looking at last time, we were discovering how sin's reality demonstrates itself even as our response to the law of God is affected by the reality of sin. We saw, and we examined this at some length, how the law acts actually as a stimulus to making sin choices. And we understood it in this sense, that the old man that you and I were, the flesh, the scripture calls it, the old self, the old self, hearing a commandment from God, either because we read it in the written word or God had printed it upon our conscience, when we hear the commandment, when we have it going on in our head, we are inclined to do the very thing that the commandment is prohibiting us to do. It's a dynamic that is as clear as experience in life can make it. We see it in our lives. We see it in parent-child relationships. <laughs> Let's look at it this way. When we are told, don't touch, it makes touching even more compelling, doesn't it? Or think of people putting up a sign, don't walk on the grass. There are individuals seeing the sign who now find it almost impossible to resist the urge 
to walk on the grass. <laughs> there is the reality of how even hearing the commandment, the identifying of the commandment in itself can become a stimulus to the old man, to that sinful fallen flesh that was once who we were and yet still is present within our experience. Have you known that to be true in your life? I'm sure you have. God, in these verses that I read to you, and we looked at this last time as well, gave us the concept of coveting as another picture of this dynamic of how the commandment can stimulate the old man and lead to defeat in relationship to sin's temptation. In the area of coveting, coveting is wanting what is not ours, wanting to take what is not rightfully ours to take. Our old self working within us is rejecting God's law, do not covet. Remember, it was part of the very Ten Commandments themselves. And it works within us to talk us into coveting, to convince us that perhaps we deserve and perhaps need what God has said is not yours. It is forbidden to you. And the old man that we were and continue to struggle with has demonstrated to us that the longer we debate the issue, the more we reflect upon wanting what God says, I don't want you to have, the greater the temptation becomes and the more enticing it becomes to us to make that choice. And of course, that was demonstrated even back in Genesis chapter 3 by the example of Eve in the garden. And the longer she looked at the fruit that God had forbidden, but Satan was encouraging her to consider and take because it was actually in his lie, a message to her was that it was better for you to have it than not have it. The longer she looked, the more compelling it became. And eventually, of course, she succumbed to it as did Adam and ate that fruit. Well, the point of all of this, and this bridges us into our study today, is that the old self is easy pickings for the temptation to sin. As a redeemed believer, we've been discovering that sin can still hurt us, can still cripple us, can still enslave us. Being redeemed does not change that reality. Another thing that we've learned to this point is that you and I are unable in our own strength to resist how sin and temptation operates within our life. We need to become new creations, certainly, and we need the new self that we've become directing our actions, not permitting the old man to be in control of our life. Because if we allow the old man to be in control of our life, Inevitably, the same patterns will repeat themselves of giving in to sin and being stirred to sin by the nature of the old man. We also need the Holy Spirit's enablement. And that's one of the things we're beginning to see in chapter 7 of Romans. We'll see more about in chapter 8 as well. Well, let's build on it from here. In verse 10 to 13, talking, it says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived and killed me. Sin's power is going to require much more than my strength or your strength to overcome. Here's a warning that the scripture gives us over and over again. 
Don't ever make the mistake of underestimating how much power sin has to tempt us and overcome us. Sin has a continuing power in our lives, seeking to overcome us and control us. Sin, if we give into it, continues to have the power to disrupt our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't have the power any longer for the redeemed believer to take away our eternal life. But our temporal relationship with God, the reality of our day-to-day walk with the Lord, sin can very much disrupt that particular walk. Much like in Genesis 3, as God was walking in the garden, instead of being in relationship with God after sin, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the relationship. And sin has that continuing effect even in the life of the believer, prompting us to distance ourselves from God because of guilt. We've also been learning in Romans 6 and now in Romans 7 that sin, if we give into it, still has the power to capture us and enslave us, even though we've been redeemed from the consequence of sin on an eternal level. It still can control us and captivate us here. If left to ourselves, We are simply no match for the power and allure of sin and temptation in this life. You and I need God's help. You and I are in a place where we need to be dependent upon what God is graciously willing to give us. But we must accept what God is graciously willing to give us. We learned in chapters 1 to 5 of the book of Romans that nothing less than the cross of Christ and his resurrection could pay for sin's penalty. It didn't matter how hard we worked, we could never save ourselves, nor could we offset the consequence of our sin. We needed God, and we needed the work only he could do, and he did it through the sending of his son who died on the cross on our behalf. In Romans chapter 6, We are now discovering, and in chapter 7, that we need nothing less than becoming a new creation in order to begin to deal with sin. Only becoming a new creation sets up the conditions for us to have the very power of sin broken once again in our lives. As we've been further now in Romans chapter 7, we're also discovering yet a third truth. And that is that nothing less than drawing upon the indwelling Holy Spirit's enablement will help us successfully resist Satan, resist sin's temptation, sin's control. Only with God's help can we resolve the problem of sin. With God's help to resolve the problem of its eternal accountability, with God's help to solve the problem of its captivity over our life, and now, with God's help, to be able to overcome its continuing tempting allure for us in our lives. We need God's help. So here's the question, and clearly it's the question that ought to be coming to our minds as we're reading through chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Why is it that sin stays so dangerous for us as redeemed, adopted people? Why is it that we need to be so concerned about it? 
especially in light of the fact that if we are justified, sin is not going to take away the covering of Christ's righteousness when we stand before the Lord. So why is it that sin is so dangerous to us? Why is God warning us about it? And ultimately, I think the answer to that is found among other places in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Let me read that to you. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, as we give in to sin in this life as redeemed believers, it begins to do two very important things, totally apart from the fact that it's displeasing to God. But within us, it does two important things. Number one, it begins to harden us. And what that means is that sin, when we give into it, begins to make us spiritually insensitive. It's like building a callus up. We become hardened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We become hardened to the activity of the Word of God within us. We become hardened to our awareness of our relationship with the Lord. A terrible outcome. And yet God warns us as believers that will happen if we give in to sin's temptation and continue on in a pattern of sin, we will become hardened as people. But he also says that in, in this Hebrews 3 passage I was talking about, that we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? That means sin, as it works in our lives, ends up making us self-deceived. It ends up dulling our awareness to the very fact that we're not where we need to be. And so there's a double problem going on. We're hardening in our lives because sin is causing that to happen in terms of our relationship with the Lord. In our brains, we're becoming self-deceived about the fact that's the situation. We don't even realize that we're becoming hardened. What a terrible problem sin is for the life of a believer if we are giving into it. We are becoming self-deceived about the truth about our condition. We are becoming hardened and therefore less aware of the working of the Holy Spirit and the prompting of God within our life. When this hardening and self-deception continues to take up root in the life of a believer, it is going to allow the condition to be set up for us to be recaptured by sin, re-enslaved and defeated before the Lord. Sin is an important issue. Sin desires to win even now in the life of a redeemed believer. I was thinking of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 and God's warning to Cain. Listen to it. If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin has never changed. It's crouching at the door, even in the life of the believer. Its desire is to have you, meaning to control you, take over your actions and orientations of life. <laughs> and God says, when you've been redeemed, this reality hasn't changed because I've left you here in this fallen world in which sin still operates. 
You need to take sin seriously. Don't give in to it. Or the reason I've left you in this world for you to grow and mature and serve me and be fruitful in my service, all of that will be undercut by sin in your life. And you will ultimately be counterproductive in your service of me. Well, let's continue on as we're looking at these things. In verse 11, it says, Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Sin tries to have this capturing process go on to have us by seizing us through the hearing of the very commandments of God. We saw this last time in these opening verses in chapter 7, where the old self, hearing a commandment, became inclined to want to break the commandment, to do the very thing that was prohibited. The law stimulates the old man to begin to think about the prohibited action. And the longer that we begin to think about that prohibited action, as we saw, we're more likely to give into it. As the debate, in the example that he gave us here over coveting, is the debate about covering, coveting goes on in our minds, the power of the temptation simply grows and entices us and eventually overcomes us. If you and I have not been responding as redeemed believers by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, surrendering the control of our life to Christ, allowing the indwelling Holy Spirit to control us. If we are not doing that, having made that decision in the new self, what is likely to have happened is that the old self will end up taking over in the throne center of our life, controlling our directions. If the old self is in the control center, rather than Christ. Sin has a much easier time seizing us. You notice that's the terminology here. It has a much better time, easier time seizing us. When we hear God's commands, it tries to tempt us and seize us into wanting to break those commands. Now, God's point in telling us all of that, besides warning us, is to use it to demonstrate to us his warning that sin is really that serious. Sin is really that terrible. Sin is really that big an issue. Because sin can even take God's law, which is holy by definition, and use it in a way that ultimately, in the terminology we read, kills us. Sin is a serious problem. And brothers and sisters, understanding that and seeing the length to which God is going here to make it plain to us, how can any believer having any sense of God's truth, God's word, ever think that sin's no big deal. As long as you've been redeemed, don't worry about it, you're going to heaven. God wouldn't go to this amount of trouble explaining these dynamics to us if sin wasn't a big issue. It is a big issue, and God wants us to take it seriously. These realities about sin and the danger of it underscore why sin ultimately in God's plan will be removed from the world. In Revelation 21 and 22, we have the picture of the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness rules and dwells. There will be no sin any longer, no temptation any longer. 
Sin is that serious and dangerous that it has to be removed from the entire universe in the new heavens and the new earth. If sin's that serious, let's take it serious, okay? Let's assume that it's something we need to be reasonable in addressing in our lives. The reality of sin's power and corrupting effects underscores for us why sin is separating us from God and why Christ had to come to pay for the penalty that that sin produces so that we could have a solution. Now, as redeemed people, God is making it plain to us that the reality of sin's continuing power and its continuing corrupting danger to us is why we can't play around with it. Why, even as redeemed people of God, God is insisting upon us presenting our body as a living sacrifice, committing ourselves to the process of growing and maturing, drawing upon the enabling Holy Spirit. The reason all of this is true is because sin will still inevitably defeat us, harden us, and deceive us if we are not dealing with it appropriately before the Lord. And God doesn't want us hardened. He doesn't want us self-deceived. He doesn't want us fruitless. He's done everything that's necessary to do to ensure that's not the way that we are. But we have a role in it. We must be making determinations. And those determinations align with God's purpose and plan. That is why we are the ones that must decide to surrender our bodies. We are the ones who must decide to consciously draw upon the enabling Holy Spirit's strength rather than relying on ourselves. We have to be proactive in this process. And these choices that are so critical to us are choices that God continues to underscore for us must be made. He will not make them for us. No matter how much we might ask God to do that, God will not do that. God will not overrule the choice of the individual about being saved. We can pray and pray and pray for an individual, but that individual still must decide to repent and believe. God will not overrule that. Now in the area of growth, in the area of dealing with sin as a redeemed believer, we can pray and pray for an individual, but an individual must decide. God will not decide on their behalf to respond properly to the reality of sin and temptation in this world. To choose to present their body is a surrendered sacrifice, the Lordship of Christ, and draw upon the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Both are crucial for us. Therefore, surrender and dependence upon the Holy Spirit is not optional for the believer. It's only with surrender and the Holy Spirit that we have any reasonable hope to deal with sin's hardening and deceiving effects in the life even of the redeemed believer. Brothers and sisters, take God at his word in these things. There's a good reason that he wants us to say no to sin and yes to him and yes to his word. It's not because he wants to spoil our fun. He wants to keep us from slavery. He wants to keep us from grief, 
from wounds, from self-corruption, from self-deception, and from spiritual hardness. Listen, God is on your side, and he wants to help you, but we must listen to what he has to say and respond in obedience to the things he calls for us to do. Earlier, I was saying the tendency among believers is to underestimate how serious sin really is, to underestimate its possible power in their lives. God is reminding us, left to ourselves, we are simply no match for the power and allure of sin's temptation. We need strength beyond our own. And it's that enabling strength that becomes central to the solution to our lives. Now, in the verses that lie ahead, starting in verse 14, we're going to see even more about this inner struggle because God is going to great lengths to explain to us why it's so crucial that we surrender and draw upon the Holy Spirit. So join me as we continue in these studies together in the book of Romans, as we now begin to look at the war going on within the redeemed believer between the power of sin and temptation working in the members of their body and their new hearts in Christ. God bless.